Well, friends, we are in our third and final week of this chaos series that we've been a part of. We begin this series with Peter's call story on the edge of Lake Gennesaret. And Sterling told us that large bodies of water since antiquity have been seen as chaos. They are big. Sometimes the water can be very dark. We don't know what sort of creatures are in them. And when there is inclement weather, there are waves and unpredictable things that can happen with these big bodies of water. But Sterling beautifully reminded us that God is with us when we are on the edge of chaos, when we are in the midst of chaos, and that God has dominion over all chaos and calm in our lives. Last week, we moved from the lake down to a level place where Jesus was speaking to a crowd, and he told them about the blessings and woes in the kingdom of God. These blessings and woes are upside down from what we typically see in our society, and they can lead us to think, to be kind of confused about how these are relevant to our lives right here and now. Sterling challenged us to think about these blessings and woes and to see how the kingdom of God is trying to break through to our lives here and now. Our scripture today continues on that level plane in Luke 6, verses 28 through 38, 27 through 38, and it is a continuation from last week. So here now our reading from the Gospel of Luke. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. May God bless the reading of the gospel. Thanks be to God. Well, something that is not a secret around here is that I am young. And what's been very interesting to me is in my almost three years here, as I've met people out in the wild, you know, outside of the church, people will say things to me like, you're just so young. When they find out that I'm a minister or, and that I'm serving as a pastor at a church, they just say, you're just so young. And I'm never quite sure how to take that because it doesn't really feel like a compliment, but I'm not really sure it's the opposite. So I usually just smile and nod because it's true. I was born in 1993, two years after the World Wide Web came out and was public for all people. 
So I quite literally grew up alongside the internet in all forms of social media. This has affected who I am. The very first social media that I took part of was called MySpace. Did anybody in here have MySpace? There are a couple people, I think probably did. I see a few little hands. I'm not the youngest person in the room. There are some people about my age. The appeal of MySpace, it was directed towards middle schoolers and high schoolers, and it was designed to be your own space. So I remember copying codes to make a special background on my page, and you could import songs to play when someone visited your page. And of course, it had your picture that you chose. You could write your own bio. It was very personalized, and it was curated so that when people visited your MySpace, they got to know a little bit about you. But there was one feature of MySpace that was kind of problematic at the time and seems even more problematic now. You could actually rank your friends. And I don't just mean like people saw your 200 friends and thought, oh, they must associate with these 200 people. I mean, literally, you would say, number one, Kendall, number two, Sage, number three, Charlotte. You listed your top friends. And this was about the time that I started to see social media could be a bit problematic. Now we're beyond MySpace, and now we have things like Facebook and Instagram and TikTok, all sorts of ways that we connect with one another online. And while you can't curate your page in the same way that you could on MySpace, you still can like pages, you can associate with different groups, and the Facebook algorithm begins to learn about you, and all of a sudden, your Facebook feed kind of seems like it knows you a little too well. You know what I mean? Like if you are Googling trying to find a pair of slippers for your mom for Mother's Day or something, and all of a sudden, your Facebook feed has a picture of that very pair of slippers, and you think, how does it know that I was looking for slippers? Or if you and your spouse are talking about wanting to visit a new state, and all of a sudden, you get back on Instagram, and there's an ad, a tourism ad for that state and what you should do when you visit that state. These social medias, these algorithms, have learned what we like. They've learned what we don't like. They've learned the kind of content that will engage us, the kind of things that we will scroll right on past. So social media has kind of become like a virtual magazine for us. We get to look on our feed and see pictures we like, videos we think are funny, friends that we enjoy talking to. And what doesn't happen often is something pops onto your page that you don't like at all. But when it does, you might have a sort of visceral response to it. If you see a post that you think, oh my gosh, how did this even make it on my page? I don't agree with this. I don't want to see this trash on my Facebook. There are two things you can do if this happens. The first is you can remove the post. You know, it's easy. You can block it. You can make it go away so you won't see things from these type of people or this type of content. You can make it go away quietly. But what I see a lot more often are Facebook comic, comment feuds. Do you ever see these feuds on Facebook? People will argue with each other in the comments and spew hateful rhetoric and I always find myself thinking how bold it is that people will do this because I think they wouldn't say it if they were face-to-face -face with someone. They wouldn't be using these passive-aggressive comments or these overtly aggressive things. There seems to be protection when you're behind a shield of a phone or a computer. 
And this is not just on social media, of course. We see this in our real lives and on the news. But at a glance, when you look at social media, you can see how easily we separate ourselves into people that are like us, people that we want to associate with, things we like, things we want to associate with, and then the other stuff that we try to ignore, that we try to push out of our lives because we think, this has nothing to do with me. I don't want to associate with any of these things. Social media can be a powerful tool that can help us connect with loved ones. It can help us worship online when we're not able to be in person. It can help us stay up to date with recent happenings. It can make us laugh. There are a lot of really funny videos. But when it's used to promote hate or negativity or spreading that toxic energy, I have to wonder, what is the cost? Whether we're the one spewing a sarcastic message or sending a passive-aggressive message on these apps, the hate and negativity of these things begin to fester. And suddenly, what happens in this virtual realm that we think has nothing to do with our real life begins to seep into how we see the world around us. Suddenly, there are groups in our real lives that we want nothing to do with. There are people that we see and we make assumptions about them based on things we've read, based on internet connections we've had with people, and again, we put space between us. We think, I don't associate with those type of people. I don't have anything in common with those type of people. And then we begin to have these opinions and judgments about people that perhaps we never really gave a chance. You know, rarely do we come to church thinking, I would really, really like to be uncomfortable today, and I would really like to be challenged, but I don't know how to read this gospel from Jesus any other way. So don't shoot the messenger, just like this thing that Valencia just sang, if you can't preach like Peter, and you can't preach like Paul, preach about Jesus' love, and this passage is about a love that's so strong and is supposed to make us love in that same way. So today, we're going to consider what it might look like to love, to engage, to give people a chance that perhaps we dislike or have nothing to do with. So let's go back to the beginning. The passage begins with a slight shift in audience from the week before. It says, I declare to you who are listening which may be better translated as, I declare to you who are still listening. This is the same crowd of people. Jesus continues. It's just like a new sentence. He says, but I say to you. So perhaps Jesus, being a really smart guy, knew that some people were starting to tune him out. They've heard enough of blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. So he's saying, to those of you who are still listening, I have a challenge for you. And this is a challenge about how we are to live as people in covenantal relationship with God. He starts with something simple. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. This is a commandment that we have become so familiar with in the church. We know it's something that we are called to do as Christians that set us apart from the rest of the world. But because it's something that everyone seems to know is at least the standard Christians are supposed to live up to, we simplify it sometimes. I see church logos and t-shirts that say, love God and love people. And yes, that is absolutely what we are called to do. 
But that is what we're called to do at the simplest form. But here, Jesus says, I say to you who are still listening, you who are still trying to grow, you who are trying to deepen your faith, that we need to take this a step further. We are to love our enemies, and there is nothing simple about this task. I had a conversation last week with some church members about how this is a really radical thing we're called to do in our world where there is so much chaos and violence. I mean, all you have to do is turn on the news or listen to a podcast about what's happening in the world, and you hear about we're on the brink of war in other countries. We hear about domestic violence in the homes. We hear about racism. We hear about the political divide that's deeper than ever. We continue to hear polarizing things about mask and vaccine. I mean, we're at no shortage of chaos in our world, of people that have such strongly held opinions about what is right and what is wrong. It seems that there's very little space where we can meet in the middle. Jesus, who had lived on the earth 30 years by this point, by the time he's giving this lesson, he knew this. Jesus was one with God. He knows all things, understands all things. And Jesus knew that from the beginning of time, humans were separating themselves into us and them groups. We like to spend time with people who are like us, who think like us, who back up what we believe, who make us feel better about ourselves, and we delete or ignore or cancel people who make us feel like our way is not the right way. This is just human nature. But Jesus has come to challenge us to become better versions of ourselves, to be the people we were created to be, and to live as if the kingdom of God were fully here now. We do this by rejecting the chaos of hate, of judgment, of othering, that is so tempting to do, and adopting the kingdom values presented in this gospel text from Luke chapter 6. You know, in this passage, Jesus promotes nonviolence in a way that goes beyond non-retaliation or beyond apathy or beyond just letting things happen and not engaging with it. The disciples are to take active steps to love their enemies, to do good to those who hurt them, to bless those who curse them, to pray for those who hurt them. What Jesus offers here is not a recipe for self-help that makes us feel good about ourselves. Again, this should be making you feel really uncomfortable. It makes me feel really uncomfortable. Because what Jesus gives us here is a recipe for disruption. Because this level of forgiveness is radical it's powerful, it goes against our inclinations, it goes against our nature, because we're not yet in the kingdom of God. But Jesus, when Jesus came down to earth, made it so that we could experience it in part here and now. But yes, this all sounds bizarre to our ears. Responding in a kind way, or even in a passive way, to someone who is mean to you or hurts you or a loved one, is not common in our world. We are a reciprocal people. You know, if someone's nice to you, you want to be nice back. If someone is generous to you, you want to be generous in return. But think about if someone hurts someone you love, a child or a parent or a sibling. I find myself getting a little heated even thinking about it because 
I want to protect them. I want to do the best I can to show them that they are loved and that they are cared for. We often go back to the old thinking of an eye for an eye. The truth is, on our own, our love is always conditional. Apart from God, even our best intentions will fall short. But Jesus is trying to get us to think beyond this world, to think beyond what we see in our day-to-day lives, what we see online, what we see on the news, to learn about the reality of the kingdom of God, which is here. We can see it in glimmers, and one day we'll experience it in eternity. This is a kingdom where mercy and justice and worthiness are not merit-based, but they are grace-based. And this is terrible math. I have to take comfort in this. I was never good at math. And every time I think about some of the teachings of Jesus and things about God, it makes me feel like maybe that's okay. Because, you know, Sterling was teaching the Confirmands this morning about the Trinity. That's pretty bad math if you think about it. One and one and one is one. That doesn't really make sense. We think about grace. It is terrible math. It doesn't matter if you do everything right your entire life, you don't get bonus points at the end. God's grace is available for all. And on the other end, if you do not accept God's love, but then eventually you do come to a place where you say, I am a sinner, I am unworthy, God, please forgive me, you are just as welcomed into the kingdom as someone that's been living that way their entire life. This kingdom, grace, love, compassion, and mercy It is a never-ending well that God gives to us, and it's hard for us to understand. So Jesus came to earth, got on our level, on this level plane, to show us that this truth can change the way we live now. As children of God, we can begin living into this kingdom by showing love to people who hurt us, by extending kindness to people who we really don't like. Will it be odd? Yes. Will it be uncomfortable? Almost certainly. But emboldened by God's mercy, holding on to the absorbent love we have been given, we will be able to see more clearly through God's eyes that there is no one beyond redemption, that there's no one beyond God's reconciliation. And by God's grace, we can begin to accept the nonsensical love and mercy we've been shown And to do as Jesus says in verse 36, to be merciful as God is merciful. Whether it is the chaos of deep water, of devastating health news, of a broken relationship, or of hateful commentary on the internet, we know chaos is real. But friends, we also know that God is real. And God's love and grace and mercy are never-ending, and they are much more powerful than hate. In God, we have been given this never-ending well of goodness. And whether we like it or not, God loves us and all of humanity, not because of what we've done or achieved or claimed, but because of who God is. And aren't we grateful that we are included in that claim? As imitators of Jesus, we're called to extend the same love and mercy. We're called to be merciful beyond expectation, beyond comprehension. We're called to be generous with our prayers, with our deeds, with our blessings, with our gifts. We're called to live with open hands and open hearts. 
We're called to point people away from the chaos of life and towards the light of the kingdom. May this word challenge us and shape us until we are the people that God has created us to be. In the name of God, our creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Amen.